Well, here's a warm-up question for you. Discuss among yourselves. Uh, how, did you, how did you make a difference for someone this week? How did you make a difference for someone this week? Now, I'm hoping a good difference, but I will take a nasty difference if that's all you got. How did you make a difference for someone this week? I'll give you eight seconds to think about it, be brilliant, get your brain juices flowing. How did you make a difference for someone this week? How many, how many made a difference on purpose? How many made a difference on accident? Good difference? Oh, right, bad difference? All right, so there's grace in the, in the kingdom of God. All right. Uh, so let's shift. I, I, I promised a good old-fashioned gospel sermon. How would you succinctly explain the gospel to someone? You're in an elevator. You're going down four floors. You got about 60 seconds. You're going to explain the gospel message to someone. Now, if you're just uh, checking out church for the first time, you're checking out Jesus for the first time, maybe, maybe, I don't know, you don't know this. But for your veterans, you've been walking with Jesus for a while. How would you express the message? I'll give you eight seconds to think about that and be brilliant. We did this in my Ohana group on Wednesday night. What was interesting to me is that we got like six, seven different answers, and they were all really different. A different approach was really interesting. All right, how would you explain the gospel? Who's, who's got an answer? Quick one-liner, two-liner. Yes. It's my answer. That does sound a bit like me. <laughs> God speaks supernaturally to humans. They do stuff, and cool things happen. All right, that's, that's a pretty good elevator conversation right there. Okay, who else has one? Right. Love expresses itself by laying down everything in order to reestablish a relationship with us. Love expressed itself by laying down everything in order to reestablish relationship with us. That's interesting. It's very, very relational. It goes to the character of God. I like that. That's interesting. Who else has one? It's such an interesting little exercise. Come on, you Christian veterans. Beth? Okay, so the standard for heaven is perfection. Humans aren't perfect, so heaven sent a perfect one to make the way for perfection. There is a heavenly perfect standard. We didn't meet it, so heaven sent perfect to us. That's interesting. That's an entirely different approach, right? Here we talk about love. Here we talk about um, you know, response and interaction. Here we talk about standards. That's interesting. One more. He's got a good one. This is great. He's got one more. Mike. My story and God's big plan. My, my part in God's big story for us. The gospel is my part in God's big story for us. That's an interesting, that was kind of a conversation starter. And what makes that interesting is that he's headed toward testimony there, right? It's like my story. Like, what story are you talking? Well, let me tell you, right? So his way of communicating the gospel message is to tell his personal story in it. That's interesting. That's great. We got like four different answers there and four completely different approaches. I love stuff uh, like this. Here's a, a yeah. Probably a, a fairly well-known in churchdom uh, version of uh, an expression of the gospel from the Apostle Paul. 
from his uh, letter to the Romans, uh, which is considered to be like the most theologically dense uh, of all um, the books uh, in the New Testament. And uh, Paul is writing to the Romans, uh, uh, whom he has not met yet, to kind of give, him the, give them the gist of what he's about. They've heard of Paul. There's a church in Rome, but uh, Paul hasn't been able to kind of explain his deal yet. And this is what he says to them in the very first chapter of, of that book. He says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Some of your translations will say, I'm not ashamed of the message. I'm not ashamed of the good news. Because it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. First the Jew, then the Gentiles. He's speaking to Gentiles here. For in the gospel, a righteousness from God is revealed. A righteousness that is by faith from first to last. Just as it is written, the righteous live by faith. And there's you know, a lot going on there. There's some phrases that sound a little Christian-y, maybe a little trite uh, to you, until you pause and think and think, well, this is the first time those phrases were ever said. Uh, but a few things jump out at me from Paul's explanation of the message, the gospel. One, the first thing he says is it's power. It's power. It does stuff. You know, and that kind of reminds me of like, well, God speaks you respond, and then really interesting things happen. Uh, so whatever else the gospel is, it, it does stuff. It's powerful. It's potent. It brings change. For what? For the salvation of everyone. That Greek word for salvation is sozo. It's a word that's fairly popular around our church. Uh, and we typically translate it uh, here as salvation. But in other parts of the New Testament, it gets translated in different ways. Sometimes sozo gets translated as uh, deliverance, like because if you cast a de- when Jesus cast a demon out of someone, the text says he sozoed them. Uh, sometimes it gets translated healing, like he healed the woman with the the, the twisted spine. That's also sozo. So I really like the word restoration. Like whatever's wrong, it fixes it. You know, I think that would be a good word. And, and salvation, uh, it's been used so much in modern Christendom that I think people have kind of lost the edge of it. You know. Uh, so it's power for restoration. It's power for totally uh, fixing things. Uh, that's good for everyone who believes, Jew, Gentile. And this was revolutionary in the day because religions tended to be really pigeonholed ethnically and tribally and Paul said, no, man, we've gone global. So it's really accessible. So there's power, there's restoration, there's accessibility. The line that really interests me is, uh, it's the righteousness for God, from, from God. It's God's good way of doing things. Uh, and it is revealed. Like there's something about the message that we preach that reveals the way God does things. Like I'm, I'm preaching to you a message that kind of reveals how God does things with humans on the earth. And the reason that provokes me so much is because uh, it kind of implies that we don't understand how God does things. There's something about humanity that has mixed it up. And so it's revealed. There's something, there's a story, as Mike said, that's unfolding that teaches us how God does things because left to our own devices, we would have mispredicted. We would have mispredicted. Uh, Jesus is called a scandal on an offense. Like, he came and did things in a certain way that just kind of fries our circuits. On the one hand, everybody really likes him. On the other hand, ah, I don't need a savior. What's this? I didn't ask to be forgiven. You know, it's, it's interesting uh, the way that, that God uh, does things.
You might sum it up. I try to put it in a, in a vernacular. Creation, God's creation had a plan, but it involves human choices. And God has a way of inviting, provoking, and developing us such that we can be restored to that plan. The life that we want, but can't quite envision or grasp. And there's a way in which we get to help restore others um, by preaching on the message. With all that in mind, uh, let's take a look this morning uh, at... Jesus' manner of spreading the gospel. Uh, and I'm just going to pick a really familiar story uh, from the 19th chapter of Luke. Uh, we kind of had a, uh, a corruption of files, so I don't know if we have, we're going to have it on the big board this morning. So you might actually have to look up the scripture in your seat <laughs> using a little something that we call a book. Uh, if, uh, if you did not carry it, you have a phone, uh, and uh, you are allowed to look at it. Luke 19, uh, 1 through 10. If you have trouble finding it, elbow your neighbor. Luke 19, 1 through 10. And this is the story of a little man named Zacchaeus. And the reason I say this is probably familiar, because this is like one of those all-time great Sunday school stories. If you grew up in a church, you went to Sunday school, then you studied the story of Zacchaeus, and you probably sang songs about Zacchaeus too, because he's such a cool guy. He was evidently like really short, and uh, <clears throat> short for that day and age in that place would have been short indeed. He would have been a tiny guy. Couldn't see through the crowd, so he climbs a tree. And, of course, kids relate to this, you know. And, and so Zacchaeus is, is kind of a, a favorite uh, one. Uh, and uh, he has a, a potent, changeful interaction uh, with, with Jesus. Um, it's a classic example of Jesus making a difference to someone he happens to encounter. This one involved no miracles, Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy for the uninitiated tax collectors in uh, Israel in uh, the first century were traitors to their people. They were agents of the Romans, and the Romans were occupying. They were an army occupying Palestine, occupying Israel. It was an incredibly oppressive situation. And what tax collectors would do is that they would gather money from the, uh, from the Jews, from the locals, and give it to the Romans. So they were really unpopular, and they got a percentage of whatever they collected and so they were basically kind of taking from their own people, and they were uh, known to be rather crooked because whatever they said, the Roman soldiers were enforced, would enforce. So you can consider themselves like mafia bagmen, right? They were heavies. They were seen as criminals. And this guy was so good at extorting his own people that he became wealthy. Nasty fellow. He wanted to see who Jesus was. But being a short man, he could not because of the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him, 
since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. Random. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, he has gone to be the guest of a sinner. Because Zacchaeus, I guarantee you, was the most unpopular guy in town uh, and considered to be a, a criminal, a mafia boss man. He was like a nasty piece of work. And Jesus is like, yo, I want to hang out with you. And the people are deeply offended. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, look, Lord, here and now, I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Well, that's an interesting moment. Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house. Literally, today sozo, today restoration has come to this house. Because this man, too, is a son of Abraham. He's a Jew like the rest of you. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save what was lost. Such an interesting little encounter. And we're looking this morning like, well, how do you, how do you express the gospel message? And if you consider this story as Jesus expressing the gospel message, you have to ask yourself exactly how did he express the message then? I mean, what went down here uh, that it should end with such a significant uh, interaction? So it begs the obvious question of the passage to me is, why did Zacchaeus react so massively to what Jesus did? Do you suppose? Why did he react so massively? You know, we don't get to see his inner workings. Like, we're not told what he thought. All we know is he's a very bad man with a very bad history. Jesus comes to town, Jericho. He's on his way to Jerusalem, passing through Jericho on the way. Uh, everybody hears that this famous rabbi miracle worker is coming. Zacchaeus just wants a look. He makes an effort. He climbs a tree, which would have been fairly undignified. Uh, would have been, it would be undignified for one of us to do, but in that day and age, for a wealthy man to do it would have been quite childish. Um, it's about all we, it's about all, all we know. Why did he react so massively? And you look to Jesus for the answer. Well, Jesus must have done something pretty profound for him. And all that we see is that Jesus picks him out. Right? Jesus is just passing through town. He's not staying in Jericho, really. Uh, there's a crowd with him, and a great crowd has turned out to see him. I imagine them sort of lining the streets, although you know, streets were not then what they are now. You know, there are no sidewalks and stuff like that. They were just sort of just sort of came out and pressed around him. It would have been sort of a melee. Um, and Jesus, for some reason, picks him out of the crowd and seems to know him by name. Like, I don't know if, like, God said, that short man in the tree, his name is Zacchaeus. Uh, I don't know if he perceived it prophetically or... Uh, Maybe it was just part of the conversation. Jesus is entering a new town. I imagine it would have been typical for uh, people around him to say, all right, here's who we need to look out for in this town. You know, because from time to time, he would get hassled. He would get hassled a lot by religious experts. He would occasionally be hassled by um, 
you know, Roman enforcers, I imagine, particularly if there was a crowd around him, because Romans did not like crowds. They did not like disturbances. I don't know. But for whatever reason, among the crowd around him, Jesus says, you, I want to hang out with you. Uh, he says it more strongly than that. I must stay at your house today. We are going to hang. That's what he says. Uh, which would have been, you know, as awkward then, probably more awkward then as it would be now. Imagine, like, passing through the mall, walking up to somebody and say, your name is, is Tim? We're hanging out today. You know, um, something like that. Uh, and, and you have to ask why. What, why did Jesus do it? Uh, and I think the obvious answer is that Jesus saw some kind of what would you call it, readiness in him? Like in some way, Jesus had the idea that this guy was ready for, for restoration, that this guy was ready for a difference to come into his life. He was ready for difference. And Jesus perceived that uh, somehow. You know, Jesus certainly made the message accessible. He was all about that. That's why he was out and about walking the countryside uh, anyway, uh, was the gospel powerful in this story? Well, it made a big difference to Zacchaeus' life. I mean, could you imagine? All right, half of everything I own, I'm going to give to the poor today. If you guys did that today, would it make a difference in your life? If I asked you a question today, would you answer? Thank you. No, but I would laugh nervously and hope you moved on. Uh, right? So that's a big difference maker, and I'm going to pay back anybody I cheated. Basically, what he's doing is painting a big target on himself and saying, uh, you know, come, come bring me your grievances. I will make good on them. Uh, it was a heck of a thing uh, for, for him to do, uh, declaring open season uh, on himself. So... So yeah, it was powerful. It made a huge difference in Zacchaeus' life. He became uh, a different guy uh, in, in that moment. Uh, and Jesus himself calls out the restoration. Today, restoration has come to this house. This is the sort of change uh, that you can expect to see uh, by people who get it right, by people who embrace the, the righteousness uh, of God. Uh, and what is revealed here, this is revealing the righteousness of God, is there revelation about the gospel in this story? Well, you could say that this story is a revelation of God's grace and mercy. That's how it's typically preached. You know, Jesus says at the end of the story, I have come to seek and save the lost. I've come to seek and restore the lost. Uh, and the Jews of his day would have thought that the Messiah came to punish the oppressors and restore Israel to its proper global stature, you know, that Jesus, no, 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 I've, I've, come, I've come for those who are messed up. I've come for the oppressors. I imagine that the crowd who muttered when Jesus started hanging out with Zacchaeus would have continued muttering the next day after Jesus honored Zacchaeus with such a public declaration of righteousness. This man is restored. This is what I'm talking about. I've come for people like him. That's what I'm about. The oppressors. Because uh, the Messiah was supposed to come for the oppressed, right? I don't know. Very challenging. Very provocative. 
the righteousness of God does not unfold in the way we think it will. Right? We need to have revelation on it. I bet you that the righteousness of God has not unfolded in your life the way that you thought it would. Um, I imagine that it's been a bit topsy-turvy uh, if you've been walking with Christ uh, for any length uh, of time. What I notice most in the story is uh, Jesus' technique of, let's invent a better word, gospelism. It's better than evangelism, right? Because evangelism has just been worked to death and people get so offended by it. So let's change it. Let's call it gospelism, messageism, right? What does he do here that sort of gospelizes the situation? Uh, you could think about this story a long time. I could survey your answers, and I bet as many people who answered would describe it differently. I asked you earlier to kind of express the gospel as you would in an elevator to someone, and we got like, what, four or five answers, and every one of them had a different approach. Um, but every one of them captured the heart of it in some way as well. How does Jesus capture the heart of gospelizing uh, in, in this story? So I don't think it's a definitive story, but it is a really good example of how to go around, how to go through life gospelizing situations, if you're interested, how to live a real gospel life. And the thing that Jesus did first and foremost is that he self-invites into another person's life, you know, as if it's urgent. I must stay at your house today. Uh, it's as if, I, I imagine, Jesus' Jesus's inner dialogue was something like, I see the gospel unfolding in this little guy. I can see difference bubbling. I see a readiness for difference in this fellow. This is him. This is Zacchaeus. This is interesting. This is interesting. All right. Yo, I'm hanging with you today. Um, he could see something going on. Uh, so I ask you for your reflection. Um, in whom are you seeing the gospel unfolding in your world? Think about all the people in your crowd, right? Your life is a crowd, right? You're walking through life, and it feels like it's pressing against you. It's filled with people. And you know, a lot of them are just kind of faces in the crowd. You know, look around you right now. No, not at me. I mean, look around you. Yeah. Uh, these are faces in the crowd. And you go to work, right? Look around you. I mean, do you ever just look around you? You know, at the faces in your crowd? You go to school. Do you ever actually look around you? You know, wherever you are, go to the mall, go to a restaurant and look around you. Um, and in whom are you seeing the gospel unfolding in your life? I'll give you eight seconds to reflect and think about that. In your crowd, in whom are you seeing something unfolding? And the thing that fascinates me most about that question as I ask it to myself is, would I recognize it if I saw it? You know? How, is it, how, how do you see readiness to change in someone? 
Evidently, Jesus was a master at it, as he was at so many uh, significant things. Um, Zacchaeus shows a bit of interest, you know, he climbed the tree, so that's something. Um, whatever it was, Jesus could see it. Uh, I think restoration in people's lives so very often boils down to a readiness to change. A readiness to change. So I'll ask you a more poignant follow-on question. Are you ready for change? Is the message unfolding in you? Right? Are you climbing a, a tree to see Jesus through the crowd? Or are you just you know, being swept away by the crowd? If Jesus looked at you today, could he see a readiness for difference? Ah, I got to change. I'll take what God offers. I'm not doing so well on my own. Readiness to have God's plan revealed uh, in your life. How many of you are like, yeah, I'm ready for God's plan to be revealed in my life? Yeah, you guys are, a lot of you are veterans, uh, good blue water Christians adventuring uh, with God. But again, sometimes it does not unfold as we think it will. Um, and I have learned that about myself, and I have learned to say that very frankly to other people, even non believers that I'm inviting into the kingdom. I'll say something like, Oh, God has a plan for your life. Have no idea how it's going to go. Uh, but that's, that's what you're joining up for. Uh, you just have to be willing to, uh, to follow Jesus uh, through the adventure. I had a dream a couple weeks ago. Um, it's kind of a good New Year's-y type dream. Uh, in this dream, I was taken on a tour of my life. You know, they say that in the seconds before you die, you get, you know, your life flashes before you, your eyes. Well, this happens to me in, in, in a dream uh, right before dawn. Um, I should have been alarmed maybe, but I wasn't. And you know, I just kind of went through the decades and what I, and essentially I got a tour of disappointments and dead ends. Like, oh, you pursued this thing and then I would kind of see it blow up. Sometimes literally there'd be a huge explosion in the dream and then I'd move to a different scene. Uh, but I wasn't disturbed in the dream. I was kind of like just out of body taking it in. Uh, and then you got up to more recent things. I've been you know, a number of like really grave disappointments in life recently, things that I was pursuing, trying to, trying to build into my life, and a lot of time with good intention, trying to bring restoration and health and stuff like that. None of my plans have worked out. You know, structure is falling. Every scene was a, was a picture of a disaster, of an explosion or an earthquake, uh, a windstorm, structures falling. It was just very, very encouraging. Uh, but somehow, you know how dreams work sometimes, like you just like, you don't react like you think you would, you know, but I was just kind of, yeah, 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 I remember that, yeah, been there, yeah, uh-huh, sure, uh, and your point is, you know, it was kind of like that in the dream. And then, uh, and then uh, the Lord kind of brought me to this, this little plateau, this little hilltop, this little mesa, uh, and, and, uh, and I was just sort of surveying the wreckage. And I heard a voice from the sky say, uh, a prophet of God is a pretty cool thing to be, though. You know, and as if the Lord was saying, it's like, well, you don't get to be any of those things. Uh, but, you know, 
You could be a, a prophet of God. You could be set aside for God, in other words. And that would, that's a pretty cool thing to be. And all of the dream was kind of overstatement, explosions and earthquakes and structures falling. And of course, this part of the dream was understatement. Because if the living God says to you, it'd be pretty, pretty good if I hired you. You know, like if you, were my, if you were my prophet, that would be a pretty cool thing to be. You know, if you're not biblically savvy, you haven't read a lot of scripture, maybe you don't know, but the prophets were, were singled out, right, for God's service in their generations. Jesus himself often talks very honoringly about the prophets. Like, a lot of people followed me in that generation. A lot of people were faithful to me in that generation. But a few people were, like, prophetic. I owned them. That's kind of how God would have said it. Like, I wrecked their lives in order to give them a distinctive God sort of life. Right? And all, if you, if you read any of the prophet stories uh, in the Old Testament, that's kind of how it was. Like, prophets were totally cool, did totally good things. You would not want to be one, right? It's like, because their lives were nutso, meaning super extreme. And so that's kind of what God was saying to me. Like, like if everything was, was wrecked, you know, like it was for the prophets, would, it would be pretty cool, though, to be my prophet, right? So it's kind of an understated way for him to say, <clears throat> would you be that different, right? I mean, would you count it all as lost? Are you ready for that kind of difference in your life? And just as he said that in the dream, as so often happened in his dream, I woke up, and then the, the vision con continued for another minute uh, before I kind of became fully awake, and then I woke up to that question. You know how that happens sometimes. You're like, ah, you know, just have to lay here a while, and then, I don't know, the cat started meowing for breakfast or something. Because they know when you wake up. Yeah. Uh, a Christian is a pretty cool thing to be. A Christian is a pretty cool thing to be. And I just felt like pointing that out this morning. Like, a, a, a Jesus follower is a pretty cool thing to be. A kingdom minister is a pretty cool thing to be. Uh, and God's plan is being revealed in you. If it requires a great deal of difference from you, if it requires tremendous change, restoration, conversion in your life, it's still a pretty cool deal. Because if the living God wants to make something different and unique of your life, that would be good, right? That would be good, right? Because he's like God and stuff. He's kind of a, a, a big deal. He doesn't play on your terms. He doesn't do stuff your way. The way he does things needs to be revealed and unfolded because you don't understand it. We don't get it, right? This thing has been unfolding for centuries, and we're still playing catch-up. You know, that's the gospel. That's the gospel. It's like, look, God can make a huge difference for you if you're willing to be hugely different. He's not complementary to what's going on in your life. He's God. That's an entirely different thing, you know? He's not coming to accessorize. 
He's coming to restore. That's an entirely different thing. It's an entirely different thing. And if you're ready for that kind of difference, then I guarantee I can see it in you. That readiness is actually not hard to notice, even in a crowd of people. You could look in somebody's eyes and see that. And so I think what Jesus did for Zacchaeus in the story was actually not that mysterious. Because if you're that kind of ready, no problem. No, with just a smidgen of training, you could see that in anybody's face. Easy, easy peasy. And so Jesus just happened to see that kind of readiness. And it's like, oh, that's where I'm going today, right there. Because that's where God always goes. He cannot resist that. That's how he comes to your house. Readiness for that kind of change. Are you following me? Are you feeling me? He will always come hang with you if you're like that. Now, if he does, things got to happen. Right. If he does, then you'll find yourself just doing nutso type things, like profit weird type things, like uh, half of what I own to the poor. Uh, I have to, you know, make amends for people that I have hurt. Sure, sure. I mean, that's I mean, that's easy. Asking for forgiveness. That what I want though is the difference that God brings, and that's what Jesus is trying to foment into the world. You know. That's what he's trying to foment into the world. I have to end by saying, are you ready for that kind of difference? Are you ready for that kind of difference in your life? It'll, it'll be like interesting. Like, I don't know what it will cost you. I have no idea uh, how it will flow through your life. Right? You could be like profit level destruction slash creativity. You know, you could be like, you know more uh, moderate salt-of-the-earth stability type creativity? I have no idea. But you have to take it as it comes. You have to take it as it comes. Uh, and that's really uh, the invitation. Um, and then if you're willing uh, to be that sort of person, uh, then the privilege that you get is that you get to preach that testimony you get to share the story and invite other people into the gospel message. You get to gospelize them. You get to gospelize them. And I would really love uh, to be more of a gospel person uh, in the world. You know, I would, I would really love to be that different and make that kind of difference in the world uh, with, with the rest of my life. There you go. That's a good old-fashioned gospel sermon this morning. Uh, let's just pray and see what the Holy Spirit might do with that. Uh, Father God, uh, I thank you um, for the message, the way, the gospel, the good news. I thank you for difference. I thank you that there's a life out there that we want, even if we can't envision or grasp it, uh, but that you're showing us the way take hold. I just, it's like I can hear murmurs. It's like I can hear the Holy Spirit conversing with a lot of you. 
I'm just gonna be quiet for 30 seconds and let him continue to speak to you individually. There's some gospelizing going on. 